Thanks, everybody, for joining us this week. There's a lot happening in the news, as everybody knows. I think you can't turn around without reading about a big high-tech layoff. And it's really sad news. And I guess the thing I would ask people to keep in mind is these are organizations who had to shore up and hire really quickly during the pandemic. And a lot of this is just, I know this sounds uncomfortable, but it's an equalizing of the workplace. And my thoughts to anyone out there who's afraid of their job is there are some things you can do. You're listening to this podcast. That is one of them. And to help everybody out there, I thought it would be a great idea to talk to an actual recruiter. I think that's one of the most helpful things we can do. So I went into my network and found an amazing recruiter, Emily, to talk to everybody. And I'm intentionally not giving Emily's last name because I do not want her to be slammed with people reaching out to her. She's graciously agreed to come and share some insights from the other side of the job search. So Emily, welcome. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. I know we don't want to give names in too much detail, but if you could share a little bit about yourself and I don't think any kid goes to school and says, you know, I want to be a recruiter, but if you could maybe talk about how you came to be where you are, I think that would help a lot of people understand the journey. You're absolutely right. I certainly had never heard of a recruiter as a job position or option. So the way I got into it was pretty organic. I was a server at a fine dining restaurant. So that was the hospitality industry. And I worked there for years. It was a very fun, exciting job. And then I got promoted to bookkeeper. And then about a year later, the owner announced a retirement. And so I was looking for work. And my colleague who was a manager referred me to this hospitality recruitment firm So in a meta turn of events, they had an opening within their own firm for a junior recruiter. And so that's how I got the job. I was just looking for work and I seemed to have enough of those office skills to to fit right in. I was a hospitality recruiter for four years and then I moved on to a totally different industry. I'm now in a professional services industry in a global firm also doing recruitment. So yeah, that's that's how I got here. I think that happens to a lot of us. And I this is something to be open with in the job search is, and I always tell people this, and I know you hate me for it, but sometimes it's an opportunity to do something different or the actual job journey sends you to a different area of work that you didn't even know existed and that you end up loving. That happened to me with my career many times. And I think that's kind of meant to be. So thanks for sharing your journey. And I'll come back to that in a little bit. But let's take the first thing out of the gate. I think that a lot of people don't really understand what a recruiter does. And I think it's important to know because people like Emily, if you're in the job search, she is your first audience. And it it's not an easy job. So Emily, if you could just kind of tell us like, what's a day in the life? You know, a day in the life would be basically at any given moment, 
my employer needs to hire a position. And so, you know, the first step is working with the stakeholders, and that would basically be the hiring manager for that open role. So I'll use IT as an example. Maybe my company needs an IT person. And so I'm going to collaborate with that manager of IT and determine what they need, what skills, knowledge, abilities that they need to add to the team and develop a job description. And then once we have the job description, we move forward to posting that publicly, you know, just circulating this this job description anywhere and everywhere, you know, Indeed, LinkedIn, the company website, of course. And so from there, you know, ideally the applications roll in. And so, yes, I am like the gatekeeper. Your resume is the first impression. And then from there, the first round interview is with me because it's only the people who advance after the first round, then they get to speak to their future boss. And so that's kind of how the process begins. From there, decision meetings are had about the final round interviews, and we're comparing those candidate performances. And ultimately, it's actually the hiring manager's decision to make the offer. And maybe that's not the case everywhere, but I, I'm more of a consultant at that point for them. I think that's really important for people to know because my hat is off to you. I go on to LinkedIn and there is somebody I follow who I would say maybe every fifth post or something is very complimentary of recruiting. And I'm being really nice about that. I think that recruiters get a very bad rap and people don't understand that there is kind of a an order of things in the workplace for hiring somebody. I like the idea of this kind of gatekeeper consultant role that you have. So I'm the hiring manager. You gave me the high level view of it, but I come to you and I say, Emily, I, I must have this role filled yesterday. Mm-hmm. And what's our conversation going to be like as the hiring manager? Well, if, it, if it's that urgent, I think I would have to manage expectations at that point, just because the process takes several weeks, especially because I think it's a very reasonable thing to want to have choice here, even if you find a great candidate, their resume is excellent and their first round interview and their final round interview goes really well. I think there's still a desire to have a few more candidates just to compare. And then you'll feel a lot better about your choice. The urgency definitely, it it can be a challenge sometimes, but to make the wrong hire, that's a whole rigmarole too. It's expensive and it can hurt the company processes even further. So it's it's not something you really want to rush or be hasty about either. Okay. It, it just strikes me that you're literally caught between the rock and the hard place. You deal with the candidates and then the hiring manager and you hit on something that I don't think a lot of people considered is that Managing of expectations. We live in this world of instant gratification. I want to watch a movie. I go to Netflix or I go to Prime and I stream it and I'm good to go. Food, I just go on my laptop and I order a Grubhub or something like that. And we expect jobs to be like that because as the job seeker, 
I send my resume with a push of a button and I'm like, why haven't you called me back? I sent it 10 minutes ago. How do you manage both sides of those expectations and how does it not drive you insane? <laughs> you do have to work quickly and efficiently. I actually really value my time as a server from that respect because working in the service industry, there is no tomorrow. I feel like that really helps me maintain a sense of urgency in getting these processes completed. You have to be very communicative to both the candidates because, you know, we do value a good candidate experience. We, my company monitors our Glassdoor rating. We are really mindful of that. We want to give people a good experience. And then of course, the hiring manager is my colleague. So I'm accountable to them too for a good experience. Well, okay. Not the easiest job in the world. So let's talk through a couple of things that you look for, because this is a question I get all the time. It should be so easy. I send my resume to you, you open your inbox. And yes, in my head as a job candidate, I'm thinking you're looking at it immediately. Now I'm getting the idea that no, you don't. So what, when you do get that resume, I don't know what your process is. You have this job. We talked about the IT manager saying they need somebody. You've put the ad in, you receive resumes. What are you looking for at first glance? On the resume specifically, I'm looking at first off the knowledge, skills, abilities that were discussed for the job description. So it's almost like cross-referencing the job description and what is included on the resume. Another thing is I love to see measurable achievements, things like I improved attendance this percentage or I saved the company X amount of dollars. You know, there's a lot of emphasis on data-driven decisions these days, rightfully so. And so if I can see measurable achievements, that's really great. Of course, attention to detail on the resume is important. It should be free of typos or, or misspellings or you know, errors like that. I really like longevity. I like to see a minimum of a year. I think that might be different from for different recruiters or even the industry quality was a, a little softer on that. But I think a minimum of a year anywhere is a good sign. I think that covers the, the major ones. Yeah. And and how funny we're in this age of uh, the year is now longevity. <laughs> yeah. And I think that is something that's changed. Do you think that coming out of the pandemic, we've changed or maybe our workforce has changed that we've changed our expectations of how we look at someone's working history or resume? That's a great question. I've heard discussions about gaps on the resume. And I think after the pandemic, I think there might be some more flexibility or forgiveness on gaps in the resume. Also, as we become more enlightened about reasons women might have gaps on their resume for mm -hmm. child rearing or caregiving, I shouldn't just be women having those gaps, but I think that's what we commonly see. I'm really fascinated to see how that evolves and whether, and there's debate about whether we can or should ask 
I've heard opinions that we should not ask. I, I'm lucky that I haven't encountered th that situation yet. My recruitment right now is focused on entry-level undergrads in university. So there, there are no gaps in a way for that population, unless it's a gap year or something like that. I'm going to be learning along with everyone else how to approach gaps. And that is definitely a big question that people have about that. It used to be this kiss of death. And now mm -hmm. I think we're a lot more open. So it's good to hear that that's, that's correct. Mm -hmm. All right. So I've put my resume into you. You've taken a look at it. You, you like the, the way it looks. It's nicely laid out. Mercifully, I have not had any typos, which for me is always a big deal. Mm -hmm. I can spot them in everyone else's work, but my own, I need a proofreader. I totally agree with that. The next step according to you, is that you're going to reach out to me and we're going to do a screen. So how do I dazzle you on the phone? How do I, it's going to be a limited amount of time. What are you looking for from me? The screen's kind of interesting because it's, it's really just a soft skill analysis. I'm going to save the technical deep follow-up questions for the hiring manager because I'll keep using the IT example. The, the, the IT manager knows so much more about IT. They're going to ask you those types of deep mm -hmm. questions. I'm asking questions that show your communication skills and examples of your judgment. I think that's really the important thing that I'm looking for. And it's interesting. I mean, I do empathize. I think we all know the answer to some extent to my questions, to common interview questions, just like, tell me about a time when you made a mistake or tell me when there was a miscommunication in your workplace and how did you handle that? It, it's tough to come out the first time with, with the right way to say it. And I think we've all had this experience where we're recording ourselves saying something, maybe it's like an audio message, maybe it's like a voicemail greeting. I don't know if people do that anymore, but you know, do you ever use the first recording? Because I have never used the first recording. I'm on like the seventh recording until I'm satisfied. And I think that applies to job interview answers. I highly recommend practicing those um, answers until you're satisfied with the way it's come out. And it's just so rarely the first time that it's coming out perfectly mm -hmm. or the way that, that does your experience justice. I know. I like that. And we definitely all have that ability with a phone or, or something like that. And I can tell you my very first podcast, I don't even know how many copies I made and attempts yeah. I made at it. So I can vouch for that one. All right. So I've dazzled you. You like me. You go on to the hiring manager and you say, oh, you should really interview Sabina. She's great. How do you advocate for somebody to a hiring manager? I know there's a degree of impartiality, but then you're saying I'm the gatekeeper consultant. I've looked at these resumes. I've spoken to this person or this group. How do you present that to the hiring manager and then maybe take us through their steps and their process? The hiring manager will obviously see the same resume that I did. They might look at the notes from the interview, the screen that I did, although that does not happen commonly. And I think as far as my experience in my 
workplace now, they're pretty trusting of my judgment. If if I'm sending them to the final round, I, I don't really get any pushback. They will make the time to do the final round interview. And, and then I think they do feel empowered enough after that final round interview with the candidate to have a pretty firm decision about whether to move forward. And sometimes maybe I'm off the mark and I get some feedback from the hiring manager of like, well, I really need them to know Spanish. And this person was great, but they don't know Spanish. And so I just, you got to narrow your focus onto this. I'm also going to add quickly, we were looking for a Spanish speaker and we found a great candidate, but they didn't list Spanish on their resume in the skills. They had other good relevant skills, but we had to kind of play detective and we saw on their resume that they were the president of the Spanish society at their university. And it was just so funny that we had to infer that they spoke Spanish just from that position. And I would just recommend everyone, if, if you speak a language, make sure that it's really clear to us on your skill set. A lot to unpack in that. <laughs> yeah. And the first thing I want to hit is just that relationship and the importance of communication, not just between you and the candidate, but also I've done this. I've been a hiring manager and I've I thought at one job, the recruiter was really going to leap across the table at me because I was very kind of Goldilocks about the whole thing. I went through three rounds of interviews for a role that was a very junior role. And I'm happy to say we finally got the communication down and it made all the difference. So that communication, which I don't think a lot of people understand that the recruiter and the hiring manager have to really have that great relationship to know and that it's not just the recruiter. It is the hiring manager as well. So there's this all this range of dependencies. I send you my resume. The ad goes out. Great. I send you my resume. We you like it. We do the phone screen. Then you take a group of us on to the hiring manager can we have a minute and talk about where not the system might fall down, but where the system is human? Because it happens. Like, where are some things that might realistically, I don't want to say hold up the system, but maybe why it might take a little bit of time? I think some understanding might help some job seekers. Any thoughts on that? An example comes to mind of we're hiring right now for this position at my employer. And we have some people who have done the final rounds and they're on hold because we have this pipeline bringing in more candidates to the final round. Like we have not finished interviewing, but we have to wait until these other final rounds have <laughs> concluded in order to make the final decision. So we'd have somebody on hold who's a great strong candidate, but because we've already scheduled these other final rounds happening tomorrow or today, for example, it's just adding days to their waiting. Eventually we'll get to that decision meeting, having gone through the remaining candidates on the pipeline, and then we can really evaluate everybody. That's that's an immediate example that comes to mind. We just yeah. weren't finished 
sending through people the, with the process and, and some people's availability kind of holds it up too. Like if, if someone's not available until next week, then the holds wait longer. And another thing that might complicate things is if, what if the hold has a competing job offer? If they have no. an approaching deadline, then we have to make a tough decision about whether do we let them go? We certainly wouldn't want them to decline a job offer and not get an offer from us, which we can't promise. So that's definitely a challenging decision for us. Yeah. I thank you for bringing up the fact that when you're looking for a job, it, it you are the center of your own universe. But unfortunately, there are other individuals and this job might not even be their highest priority doesn't mean you're not valued as a candidate, but it, it depends on what's going on with the business and so forth. So let me talk about something that's really timely right now. Next week is Thanksgiving. Yay. And holidays are tough for job seekers. And there's a lot of conflicting information. How do we handle this as a, what's your advice as a, if I'm a job seeker of how to handle the holidays, should I put everything on the back burner? Should I still try? Like what, what should I do? And, and what are some things I need to keep in? Yeah, that is a tough question. It does feel like there is a bit of a slowdown around the holidays just because we're out of office for given holidays. But I don't know. I mean, if, if you want to keep going if you want to take the break and, and wait until January, I wouldn't discourage that. I see the strategy there. But if you have the stamina to, to do it and keep applying and, and scheduling interviews, I would recommend doing it. But just be aware that it might take a little longer to hear back. And so, yeah, it just it just might be a slower process, but it, it's still done. We still are doing final rounds and we'll be making offers up until mid-December. So it just, it depends what you're comfortable with if you can wait for a slower response. Okay, I like that. I, bottom line, like make your own choice, but just also keep in mind Decision makers have lives. They're allowed to take vacation. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's so easy to vilify someone when you're in the job search. And unfortunately, it's the recruiter <laughs> who gets it because you know, I have yeah. your name. LinkedIn tells me who you are, you know, that sort of thing. So yeah. I appreciate that. I want to go back because this has come up inadvertently a couple of times in our conversation and I would think it would be great if you could talk about this. I always tell the story of I used to be an HR generalist and I was trying to get a job in that vein and I couldn't. And instead, I had a very savvy recruiter pick my resume. And actually, they remembered me from interviewing for another job. And when I told her, oh, I don't know anything about this area of HR, she said, well, we can teach you that part. You have other things we can't teach. You communicate well, you're engaging. You know, I was very flattered and I was, it was a bit scary for me, but it was a phenomenal decision that changed my life for the better. So this thing we call transferable skills. And if you could maybe talk about, first of all, what are they? And then you mentioned a couple of times, like yourself, you're an example of this as well. And I think that might help job seekers think outside the box. So 
take it away. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, that's a, that's a challenging topic. There are definitely things in common with great employees and therefore great job seekers that I can think of. Like I can list those qualities, but yeah, I, I, like you said, being creative about how to think of those existing skills in new ways is, is definitely going to help you expand your job search. I'm kind of struggling to articulate though, how, how you could do that beyond expanding. I can think of those skills that I've transferred to other jobs. I mean, And some of it's just like showing up and doing your best and being open to feedback and being open to learning um, and all those, all those good things. But then I also think about some like harder training, like when I got my certification in the Society of Human Resources Management, Mm -hmm. that also boosted me to, you know, be eligible for other, other positions too. Yeah. So, but yeah, sorry, maybe I need a, a no clarification. No, I think you hit the nail on the head because I think things that you mentioned, we might take for granted, like, of course I show up on time. Newsflash as a manager, a former manager, not everybody does. Yeah. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. The simple <laughs> stuff. And you, and you don't realize that that is something that is important to get across and to brag about. But then you're also hitting something else that I hadn't thought of is development. Mm -hmm. If there's an area that you really are interested in, we're at a great age where learning is available everywhere. And, but I go back to what you said earlier in the example of somebody who speaks Spanish of making sure you put that stuff on your resume. Yeah. Like, like. Emily doesn't know you can do it unless you put it on your resume. <laughs> yes, exactly. She can't search for everything. Here's an interesting topic because this, someone asked me, someone who is the head of HR asked me this last week and they asked me point blank. They're like, where do you stand on the thank you note? So I'm uh, going to yeah. ask you that question, Emily, because I think few things are as controversial as the thank you note for job seekers. <laughs> So where stand on that? Well, I guess just first off, I was raised to send thank you notes. I remember that that sending them as a child. And I I do value the thank you note a lot. And in the in the in the recruitment context, I think I've seen people appreciate the thank you notes as in like the hiring managers. I of course I do appreciate them. And then it's interesting when we're in that decision meeting and the hiring manager will say and they sent a thank you note and you just see the heads nod in (laughs) acknowledgement that that is a polite thing to do it's it's a small thing i you know if you're qualified for the job i i don't know how much it helps i I would like to measure how much that helps so that'll be a tough a tough job but i also want to add though the market can kind of influence the importance of the thank you note like this past year and recently prior to the tech industry layoffs, the employees and job seekers had a ton of leverage. And so we would extend offers to people who didn't send thank you notes. It, it wouldn't break their candidacy with us, but they also just had more leverage than they had ever before. I think if the market tightens up, and things become more competitive, there might be more value in the thank you note because of the competition. 
So just be aware of that. If you have to be competitive, I urge you to send a thank you note. Okay. And this is, first of all, thank you for that. And a quick follow-up on that. Does it matter if it's handwritten or an email? And can I send it on LinkedIn? What's the protocol? Well, a handwritten is nice, but I think the time, it, it takes too much time for real yeah. mail thank you note. So I, I, I'm afraid that might take too long in, in our process, although it's very nice. Uh, I think email is fine. Email is most common, actually. And I have had thank you notes via LinkedIn. And I think that's fine, too. I don't see that as lesser than. I think that's fine. Good to know. Good to know. And you're hitting on something when you were talking about the thank you note. And I can just picture this panel nodding, going, yeah, mm -hmm. great. There are all of these little things that we do in interaction with each other that make an impression. We've talked about the resume, how to communicate during the screening with the recruiter. Can you talk about some of the little things that people might be taking for granted that really can be decision influencers in whether or not you get hired? Anything off the top of your head? An example comes to mind where a male candidate was looking for the job and a female colleague of mine, I wouldn't describe her as a hiring manager, but she was in the final round as an interviewer and she's very much a part of the decision. And the male job seeker was describing something very technical. And the way he asked her if it was making sense rubbed her the wrong way. Did he mansplain? Uh, I I wasn't there. Okay. I don't know if it was mansplaining. I mean, he it was he's supposed to be explaining the technical thing, yeah. so I think he gets permission there. But okay, I think the way he was asking her if he was making sense just okay. tilted on condescending or Ooh. maybe patronizing. And she brought that up in the decision meeting. I hope he didn't mean it that way. And maybe he did not mean it that way, mm -hmm. but it's very unfortunate that it came across that way. And now I'm thinking this is the value of your tip earlier of record yourself answering questions. Yeah. Yeah. Because Live as I'm saying it, I think it's fine. And then when I go back to listen to a recording or something, I'm like, wow, ooh, I should edit that part out because <laughs> it does not come off the way I intended. Yeah. Uh, let's let's change gears here. Uh, and let's I have a lot of questions I get from people about this process, and I answer as best I can based on my experience and knowledge, but it's rare that I actually have a bona fide expert here. So if you're willing, could I go through a couple of questions that I get? Sure. Here's another controversial topic. What do I wear in this day and age of a, a Zoom interview? But then I might go in person. How do I navigate this? I've been wearing shorts at work for two years and now I'm going into a job interview and <laughs> do I have to go buy a suit? What's What are your thoughts on this? I recommend to err on the side of formal, as in business, uh, business appropriate formal, just because it, it it is it's a subtle thing, but it is noticeable. And again, in decision meetings, sometimes someone will mention, "Oh yeah," and he was wearing a T-shirt, or 
you know, just one of those add-on comments about the whole, the holistic impression. I actually have an anecdote. My father was conducting an interview as a hiring manager, not a recruiter. He told me about someone who flew from Florida to Virginia to do an interview for a job that they applied for. And they had a really good interview and resume, but this person was wearing very wrinkly, casual clothes mm. to the interview. And it's just so unfortunate that person flew all that way and made such a poor uh -huh. in-person impression with his wrinkly, casual clothing. And you never know who your interviewer will be or what their standards are for mm -hmm. formality. And in that case, that's a person with higher standards, always wearing a colored shirt, you know, things like that. So everyone's different, but I would never assume that your interviewer is super lax about clothing or the, that type of impression. I just highly recommend collared shirts and upscale business because you can always go down. It's just one day. Yeah. And if you can read the room when you're there and, and see that people are dressed a little lower down the rungs, but you know, it's just your first, your first impression. And, and I, I highly recommend when in doubt dress nicer. That's a good one. Here's another question. <laughs> when in the interview process, can I start talking about things like, I have a vacation coming up, I've got a wedding, anything like that? When in this course and what phase do I start talking about that where it's appropriate? And I'm going to leave it at that. I would recommend saving that for the offer conversation. I'm sure maybe there's probably recruiters who disagree, but I think the offer conversation might be where that comes up because I think in the offer conversation, you're also might be negotiating salary oh. or discussing those points. And so I kind of am lumping that together with the negotiations. And, and while I definitely understand the point of view of like the earlier we know, the better, the more information earlier, the better. Like I definitely see that, but I, I think I would recommend saving it for the offer, but maybe that's controversial. Okay. We're all fine with a little controversy here. <laughs> and I like that. I like the idea of thinking of it as part of the negotiation. And I know lots of people who've done that. I had a friend who accepted a job and then informed them, oh, by the way, in June, I need a month off for a wedding okay. and it's mine and it's in a foreign country. And they <laughs> negotiated all that. And it was, it worked out just fine for everybody. Let's see here. Oh, Here's a good question. Should I be calling you after I submit a resume? Should I should I reach out to you on LinkedIn? I noticed that this is my observation. I've noticed where there are job postings. It now gives the recruiter's name sometimes. Mm. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> I thought being a recruiter was tough when I did it, but no one knew how to reach me. So what are your thoughts on that? That's tough because Sometimes I reward people for doing that. And I wonder if I should be, <laughs> you know, I, I get people reaching out. I think it depends on whether I feel like I've been reviewing enough applications. Okay. If I, if I feel like I've been falling behind, then I'm more inclined to ah. look at that application because they reached out, but yeah. there's no way for them to know that. If I feel like I'm on top of everything, 
then when you reach out, it's a little, it's not very productive because, you know, we have our processes and your separate email doesn't make a big impact. So I'm trying to think of how to, what kind of advice I'm giving here. Like, you don't know where I am in the process or whether I've reviewed all the applications or if I'm behind and then you get rewarded for reaching out. You could reach out, but it, it might not. Well, let me, so let me rephrase the question. Is it going to hurt me with you if I reach out? More than once, then yes. Yes, okay. it will hurt you if it's persistent, ongoing contact. I think once is just okay. I, I hear myself say that and it's like, oh, like I'm giving advice for everyone to like send separate messages and emails. You know, in a perfect world though, like after the applications reviewed, you would get, you would hear back. You would be so responsive that it's not even necessary to reach mm -hmm. out. So I feel like that's the ideal world. But if you're waiting, then yeah, it could be a number of things like, okay, maybe your application has not been reviewed yet, or maybe it has been reviewed and you're on hold. So I would just, I would have low expectations for the response in, if you do reach out because it might just be a hold or a process, or you might be delegated to an assistant to give you, you know, kind of like a basic response. And I think it goes back to that setting the expectation or I'm going to be blunt. I don't think it's a recruiter's job if they've never talked to you to set the expectation. Mm -hmm. Once you have contact, you both do that. But I like the idea, like, yes, once it's fine, but then after that, mm -hmm. I'm, and I'm going to be honest, folks, it can come across as a little desperate. And I know we all have bills to pay and everything else, but you also have to respect the process for the organization where you're applying and every little thing you do reflects you. You don't want to be the wrinkly closed person. You don't want to be the persistent, unnecessarily persistent person or impatient. There's that fine line. So you have to think about every impression from your resume on shows the organization who you are. So, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. On that same note, how many resumes do you think you receive a day? Per role, because I'm thinking it's like a little avalanche. It, it depends on the time of year, you know, in peak season. I mean, at least if I'm if I'm thinking per day, at least 30 per day and over 100 or so a week. It becomes a lot during peak season for sure. And then, of course, that would slow down the review process because at my company, we are reviewing the resumes one by one. We have the human eyes on them. It's not it's not like a robot sorting the resumes that I know happens in some places. So it takes a little longer. I find that very comforting that a person actually reads the resume. That makes me feel rather good. I wish all organizations had that. I know they don't. So let me see a couple other questions that I might have. Ballpark, how long do you think it takes the average? I send my resume. I start my first day. I know I timed it out in my book, but I'm curious. Do you have an idea of how long that usually is? And let's just say very few snafus. Everybody's schedule works out. Yeah, that would have been my next question. <laughs> if everybody's schedule's working out, 
And that's a big if. Don't mean to interrupt you, but I don't think people know that. (laughs) Yeah. So from the resume to day one, like first day orientation. Yeah. I would say. Let's say say offer. Let's say offer. Okay. Offer. I would say anywhere from three weeks. I think I want to say three weeks at minimum. And then it depends on the volume of candidates. It depends on how well the hiring manager and the recruiter are communicating, Mm. whether they're getting home runs every time when the final interview, or maybe they have to recalibrate totally because they don't understand each other. I want to say three, three weeks is soon. I think that's like definitely the shorter timeline. Okay an average I would say four and then five maybe average I don't okay yeah okay down there all right so let's let's bring up something interesting that's been in the news a lot and you may not be able to speak on this but transparency of salary that has become such a hot topic and for anyone listening uh you know Emily and I are in the biz so we know this but California is usually the leader in HR law policy, et cetera. And then the rest of the country follows quickly. But people always feel that, oh, they're trying to get me at the lowest salary possible. And you have to do your homework. And now it's becoming law that a range has to be offered. Do you have any thoughts, feelings, comments on that? And can you give a short version of how a salary is determined? for a role? I'll do my best. In my current company, we have a department benefits and compensation. And so they are really the decision makers when Mm -hmm. it comes to the salary. I know that there's levels and ranges, pay grades and ranges that they're thinking about. I I personally support the salary transparency. As a former job seeker, that would have been really great information to have. It would be so great to know that I'm not lowballing myself, which is trend. I'm I'm supportive of that. I also don't run the company finances, so <laughs> my interest I don't have a stake in in controlling the costs, which is a very practical consideration for the company. So they can't go crazy with salaries. There has to be a limit to what that could be in a, in a reasonable way. So I think that's the best I could do for the salary conversation. That's a very interesting part of HR. One of the reasons I asked you is because I knew you were going to say something that I don't think a lot of people understand. The recruiter does not determine your salary. The hiring manager does not determine your salary. It is there. There's someone who is skilled at this. Yeah. I used to work alongside a compensation person. I've never done it myself. Thank goodness. <laughs> and these really are decisions not above anybody's pay grade, but another department takes care of this. Absolutely. Yes. Anytime a person wants to negotiate, then I have to, to say, thank you for letting me know. Let me check. I am not the decision maker there. Yeah. I think people think it's like the, uh, you see in the movies, like the car dealership. Oh, let me talk to my manager. Uh, and the guy goes yeah. and gets like a donut. <laughs> we really do have to check with the manager, but are there other things I can negotiate? 
besides salary? And if so, what are those things? The first thing that comes to mind is working from home, post-pandemic, working remotely. I think that might be the next most popular thing to negotiate at this point. And then next, I... I don't encounter too much other negotiation in the context of my recruitment cycle. You know, the salary is fairly fixed for a certain position that I'm recruiting for right now. So that kind of simplifies things. I would say maybe remote work might be the the hottest topic to negotiate. And I would say know what you need before going into it. Not a last minute thing. References. Are you the one who calls my references and... Any advice for me in that department? Yes, I called references for four years uh, at my other position. That was one of my responsibilities, and it had to be a minimum of three per candidate. So I probably made at least thousands of phone calls to references, and (laughs) you would be surprised at how many references don't remember you. They don't or they might have this vague, fuzzy memory of your name Mm. and they don't really know you. And they were extremely unprepared for my phone call and my questions. So I would recommend if you're making your list of references, send them a text or an email, just let them know to be ready for the call. And if it's been a long time since you've worked together, I would even take it a step further say, just as a reminder, we worked at X and I was there from 2015 to 2018. And my role was this, help them out so Mm -hmm. they can do right by you. And and then there was, there was like a handful of references that actually didn't recommend the candidate who I was calling. (laughs) That was, that was always amazing to me. They would, they would give a thumbs down awkward. And so, yeah, yeah. And gosh, that does not reflect well on the candidate because the candidate of all the people to choose, like choose someone who's going to talk you up. That's low hanging fruit in this process. You get to choose who I call. (laughs) And so if you fail that, you know, there's implications. (laughs) That would be hard to go back to that candidate and think of them as a strong candidate for the job. Yeah. Either they misrepresented or they are very unaware. Right. Uh, any other do's, don'ts, thoughts, advice as we kind of wrap? Yeah, just to reiterate, practice the interview question, your your answers to the questions. It's not hard to find common questions through Google of what interviewers might ask. Mm-hmm. And and if sometimes if the question isn't even the same in the interview, your answer can kind of be molded into the right answer mm-hmm. to their question. I think that's transferable. And then also, I I recommend having a list of questions to ask the interviewer oh. about the job, about the company, thing like that. Because when you flip the script and interview me back at the end of the screen or the final round two, it really makes a positive impression. It it shows, yeah, it shows that you are making a very conscientious decision about what's right for you. I can't emphasize enough, ask good questions back to us at the end. And in my personal opinion, it's a sign of intelligence to ask good questions. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so that'll, that'll get you pretty far. 
Yeah. I think that's a great tip to end on because I think a lot of people do not do that. And mm -hmm. it can, I think it can make or break whether or not you get hired. I want to know that you want to work with our organization and with me as a hiring manager. So thank you. Mm -hmm. We are officially out of time. And I thank you, Emily. I think this advice, just being able to hear from a recruiter and understand the process will really help a lot of people as they are job searching. So thank you so much for joining us and sharing your anecdotes, your stories, and your wisdom. Thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you, Sabina. Thanks.